Well, hello there. My name is Jan Burt, and this is my podcast, The Burt Not Ernie Show, where we talk about God's promises and the hope those promises bring to our everyday lives. Whenever I meet somebody new, I introduce myself as Jan Burt and say, like Burt and Ernie, since it's easy to confuse my last name with a different one. And almost always, people smile when they think of Burt and Ernie. That got me thinking. I'm a Burt, and I'm not an Ernie. But how often do we live as if we're someone God never meant for us to be? Part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Hence the name, The Burt Not Ernie Show. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dig into God's promises. Well, hello, everybody. Hey there, it is Jan Burt here back again for another episode of The Burt Not Ernie Show podcast. We are on episode 36, I think, today, maybe 37. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm not even sure. That's how busy I've been as of late. But I do know where we're going to be in the Bible, which is way more important than the, the show number that we're on. We're going to look at Psalm 138. Uh, 139 is going to be a psalm that you recognize certain aspects of, like right off the bat. But I'm going to tell you, we're going to go back one psalm to 138, maybe a little bit less well-known, a little bit less common, but there's just some good stuff in here. So, um, and if I'm wiggling around a little bit, it's because I am I am ready for bifocals and um, also not ready for them at the same time. So I have to keep, if you hear little noises, I'm probably lifting my glasses to be able to read my Bible clearly because I can't see the Bible and also see my computer screen at the same time. The joys of aging eyes. It's just so much fun. So, okay. All right, here we go. Psalm 138 from the Amplified. The little title of this psalm, little title, I don't know why I said little. The title of this psalm is Thanksgiving for the Lord's Favor, and it was written by David. Okay, nobody knew how to give thanks to God for what he had done, for what he was currently doing, and for all that he was going to continue to do quite the same way that David did. So we want to read this with just thinking about Thanksgiving for all of it all of it. And if you've never said that, if you've never just during your prayer time said to the Lord, thank you, Lord, for all of it, and then just started to think through what the all of it might be, something he did a while back, something he's doing today, and something you're believing him to do in the future, that's a really good place to start because we want to thank him for all of it, all of it. That's a great heart of praise. And he loves, loves, loves when we have hearts of genuine praise. And it's hard to be a genuine praiser and an efficient, effective prayer if you're not thankful, if you're not thankful for all of it. So when I say thank you, Lord, for all of it, and then I start thinking of some specific things that fall under that umbrella of all, it's pretty great. And you get to where you can look back at things that you thought were really rough, and maybe in this specific instance, you prayed this and God answered like that, and it wasn't at all what you asked for. And at the time, it was so awful. But you can look back and say, wow, I'm so glad you answered how you did. That's a way to thank him in all of it. And that grows your faith that maybe in the right now, you're feeling like he's not answering the way you wanted to. You're going to be able to look back in that same way and thank him for all of it. Thank him for what he didn't do sometimes instead of what he what he did do. Because if he gave us everything we asked for, We'd be a hot mess all day long. All right, I'm going to get to it. Verse one, I will give thanks to you with all my heart. I sing praises to you before the pagan gods. Okay, real quick on this verse. But uh, usually when we see the will, we're in regarding this podcast because we're focusing on God's promises, we want to 
say that out loud and stress what God will do for us, where he's made a promise of what he's going to do. This is us giving our will to God. Okay. So I will give, I will give you thanks with all my heart. Listen, you, you need to be about the business of making a decision today that you're going to thank him and you're going to thank him with all your heart. Think about what that means. You watch some sappy movie on the Hallmark channel, which I don't really do that. It's good for you guys if y'all do, but I'm like a, uh, man, I get the, you know, uh, look, the kind of books and stuff I read are not romance novel Hallmark movie type things. That's just not my kids this or in the spring, they had to say, Mom, you probably should quit reading books about like Auschwitz and stuff. So I'm just a little bit more, I'm a realist, I guess I'm not, um, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's a more of a, it's great if that's you, but it's more of a stretch for me to be able to think about things in kind of that type of a way. Um, and so when I think of somebody saying, I love you with all my heart, that's definitely not in the literature or the television programming I watch, but I can think about it. My mom was a soap opera watcher, and so soaps were on in my childhood, and you get that kind of, I love you with all my heart kind of thing. That's It's that on steroids that we want to be coming to the Lord with. We really, really are deciding that we're going to give thanks to him with all of our hearts, with everything that we've got. Verse 2 says, I will bow down and worship toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truths. Okay. Yeah, a couple things here. Um, first of all, back there in verse 1, singing praises to the God most high in the midst of pagan gods. We're surrounded by um, all sorts of things, worship and focus on things that are not the one true God. We want to be people who who give thanks to God right in the midst of that. You might be the only one who's um, in your classroom or something that feels like this way anyway, like you're the only one acknowledging the one true God. You can go ahead and do that anyway. That's, I mean, let's, let's take this verse and not think about it as thousands of years ago. Let's think about today. What does that mean for us to sing praises to God right in the midst of a society that has a lot of pagan gods? And you know what pagan gods are. I don't need to break that down for you. We all see examples of idolatry all around us all the time. Um, We know when people, people worship all kinds of things. Some people worship fitness. They might worship their health. I mean, it's just everywhere. They might worship their their car. It could be a Tesla or whatever. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. Um, We see it all the time. Stay focused and worship the Lord right there in the midst of that. I will bow down and worship toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. This, I love this in verse two. Usually when we see loving kindness, it's coupled with uh, mercy or something like that. And when we see truth in the word of God, it might be paired with things like, um, you might think of Old Testament times where he really had to discipline his people or uh, you know what I'm saying, right? Like, so to see those two together, that's a beautiful thing. We need to worship him with a full understanding of his loving kindness and his truth side by side. It's a beautiful picture. He's not an incomplete God in any way, shape or form. And he doesn't, he's not overly heavy handed. And he's, um, I mean, because he's so gracious, the, even the heavy handedness he should lay out in the wickedness around us in the world. He doesn't always, he gives us so much grace, his loving kindness and his truth are both key elements of who he is. And neither one is going to give his truth doesn't budge just because he's so gracious and merciful and filled to the brim with loving kindness toward us. His truth doesn't budge. We need to recognize those things. And sometimes having a time of praise and prayer where you even say out loud, 
Thank you, Lord, for your loving kindness and thank you for your truth. It can kickstart a a prayer time that um, may just blow your doors off and surprise you, quite frankly. All right, verse three. Verse three. There's a big old promise in verse three. I love it. On the day I called, you answered me, and you made me bold and confident with renewed strength in my life. That's pretty awesome. On the day I called, you know what? He's hearing you right now. If this is the day that you're calling out to him for something, he is hearing you right now, and he will answer you. And you can even just pray this verse and say, you know what the needs are. You know how pressing this is right now, Lord. I'm calling out today. I want you to answer me today. He's not a vending machine. We don't demand and stomp our foot and he gives us what we want, but we need to be a lot more bold in our praying, a lot more bold in our praying than we are. And I can back that up with scripture. You just flip your Bible open to Matthew 18 and read it. And I'm telling you what, that's all the backup I need. And I'll go into that more in a second, but I'm telling you, we don't pray bold enough. He's not a vending machine, but we pray sometimes with such timidity and cowardice. Um, I'm not sure we always glorify the Lord in our praying because we don't always believe for very much. And that's a sad thing. That's a sad state of affairs. We want to be about believing him. What's the point of reading his word and saying we're going to believe his promises if when we pray, we don't, we don't believe nothing? You know, that's a sad state to be in. On the day I called, you answered me, answered me answered me. What are you praying for today? Not hoping that somebody else will pray over you and for you, but what are you praying for today? You be about this work today. And you made me bold and confident with renewed strength in my life. If you need some strength renewed in your life, you get on your face and you start praying. I'm going to tell you what, you'll get some renewed strength. It says so right here, and God cannot lie. He cannot lie. So this is the truest thing that there is. Uh, Whatever your situation might be, this right here is the truest truth about that situation. You made me bold and confident with renewed strength. I want renewed strength. And I tell you another thing, I want to be bold and confident for the Lord, just for the Lord. If you have an intense time of prayer with him and you come away like really excited, you feel like you've been, think about, um, you know, we'll pump you up. If you're not an 80s kid, you're not going to know what that means. But um, yet, like you are pumped up when you come away from your prayer time, well, that's because he's made you bold and confident and is renewing your strength. That's a good thing. That's a really good thing. Verse um, verse four talks about all of the kings of the land giving thanks and praising the Lord in the first half of that verse. How amazing would that be if everybody that was in a position of leadership were just glorifying God? That's, that's a pretty amazing thing to think about. Um, almost seems like unfathomable, really. Uh, but why not pray for it? Lord, set people in positions of power who will glorify you and do your will in this world. That's not a bad prayer to pray. God's promises, um, he's promising us in the next part of this verse, verse four of Psalm 138, he's promising that he's going to, um, how do I want to say this? I don't want to say it wrong. I'll just read it. I'll just read it and then talk about it. When they have heard of the promises of your mouth, which were fulfilled, That's when the kings of the earth are going to be praising the Lord. Maybe there's somebody in a position of leadership in your life. Maybe your boss or, I don't know, um, a a family member who is sort of an authority over you. And maybe they're older than you. They're the elder, elder statesman in the family, so to speak. And they they don't know the Lord. Maybe they say they're an atheist or they don't want anything to do with Jesus. You know what? What if the way that they get to a place, what if the door that opens for them to come to a place of knowing Jesus has something to do 
with them hearing the promises spoken out loud, the promises of God and seeing them fulfilled. Because it says, it says, when they hear of your promises, God's promises, which have been fulfilled, when they see them being fulfilled, there are people who are going to have like their, their ears are going to perk up. Their interest will be piqued. God's saying to us right here that his promises are going to be fulfilled. His truth is going to come to pass. What he said is what will be. Let's, this is, this speaks of your future and also speaks of the future of other peoples who will believe once they see it come to pass. So let's be people who speak the word, who believe the word, because you don't know what the impact of that might end up being probably way bigger than you even could imagine. That's for sure. Um, I'm going to skip down to, um, actually, yeah, yeah, we're going to go to verse six. Though the Lord is exalted, and of course he is. Yes, he's always exalted in the heavenly realms, and we want him exalted in our lives right here and now. Though the Lord is exalted, he regards the lowly, and he invites them into his fellowship. And the second half of verse six says, but the proud and haughty he knows from a distance. He is so exalted. He can't not be exalted. It's it's just his rightful place and position to own, and he owns it. Like, he's a boss. It's his. And yet, he invites in the lowly to be in his presence, right? To, um, to have fellowship with him. Hello, amazing. That's amazing. I've talked before about what it would be like if the Queen of England invited you to tea and then sat and just made direct eye contact with you. That's what it's like when the eyes of the Lord are on you. Only that time's like 10 bazillion because, you know, she's actually pretty irrelevant in the whole scheme of things. Um, sorry if you're real interested in the crown and all that kind of stuff, but just the truth, like uh, there, there's nobody who's going to ever even begin to hint at comparing to our Lord God Most High. And if you were going to look at historical figures who are pretty mind-blowing. You might want to look at Alexander the Great, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, like, whoa, Nelly, big deal noise. But the point is, is that that's how the Lord's eyes are on you, as if you're the only one. It's really profound to think about. And he says, just come on in and fellowship with me, even though this is who I am, and I can't be anything else, you come on in and fellowship with me. But the key there is the lowly the lowly. That doesn't just mean impoverished. That's not just poor. Jesus has a very special place in his heart based on his ministry in his heart for children and for the least of these. And he wants us to have just an attentiveness and a love for them that that is based on his example. We can only get that kind of love from him and we ought to be after that and seeking that. He invites the lowly in, but you might be very wealthy, but still be lowly as far as like, are you humble? Do you know that everything you've got is all because of Jesus? Zero percent because of you? Yeah, that's you. You're in his fellowship then. That's a beautiful thing. And that's what this verse says. And then that second part. But the proud and haughty he knows from a distance. Um, Knows from a distance. This this is literally. Literally what he does for us right now invites us in to have fellowship with him. And it's also literally the answer for some people as to why they feel distant from God. You've heard it said many times that God, if you don't feel like God's there, you know, who moved you or God? And I get that. I get that. God's not changing. He's, he's an unchangeable staple in our life. If we move away from him, yeah, we're going to feel that separation and that distance. But he says here that he knows them from a distance if they're proud and haughty. Now we know what, we know what proud means. We know what proud means. I don't need to define that, but haughty 
Um, yeah, we all know what it means, but I'm a word girl. I like to look stuff up. So arrogantly superior and disdainful. Can you imagine thinking of yourself as being superior to God, being arrogant about your superiority over the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, having disdain for Jesus? We don't really consciously think like that. It would be heinous for a disciple of Christ to think like, I mean, that's just, that's, that's just so far outside the bounds of how we think. But if you feel like maybe there's a distance between you and God, you might want to step back and say, Lord, Lord, have I been vain at all? Am I pompous at all? Is there any snobbishness in me? Okay. I want to, um, you, this is what came to mind with the snobbishness because we can be spiritual snobs. We can have our cliques in our churches and our small groups. We can, you know, yada, yada, yada. You know, it's true. I know it's true. We can be snobbish. The new person comes in and they don't quite fit in with our little group. And so they're on the outside. We, yeah, we still want you to come to small group, but you're not really in the small group. That's so sad when that happens. It's got to break God's heart. And, but that's what came to mind when I was thinking of like the snobbishness. And then, um, that, movie scene from Ferris Bueller's Day Off when they go to the restaurant and the uh, maitre d' says, just leave now before I get snotty or snooty. Leave now before I get snooty. And Ferris says, snooty. And the maitre d' says, snotty. And Ferris says, snotty. You know, leave now before I get snooty. Snooty. Snotty. Snotty. We don't want to be snooty and we don't want to be snotty. We really don't want, we don't want to be, to feel like um, we're being asked to leave. Like we're outside of the closeness of fellowship that God wants to have with us because of snooty snottiness eh, just kill it off. It's not worth it. So um, I hope that's not you. But if you've ever felt that way, sometimes you're just in a, in a rough spot and you need somebody to say, we all go through times where we feel like God is a little bit or a lot silent. Uh, and at the, on the other side of it, man, we're so close to the Lord. We've grown so much and it's a blessing, but there can be a difference when we get a little bit too big for our britches, you know, and we need to just dial it back a notch and say, wow, Lord, I just want to stay in close fellowship with you. And so I'm going to choose humility, that lowly attitude of I'm not better than I ain't better than nobody. I ain't better than nobody. Um, and thank you, Jesus. It's all grace. Okay. And that's another key thing that the Lord has really been laying on my heart lately. Give grace to others and give grace to yourself. Just do it. Just do it. Because sometimes the reason we're so graceless to other people is because we're not gracious with ourselves. Extend grace to yourself. Hold yourself to a standard of becoming more like Jesus every day. Don't just say, I'm just going to go full tilt, hog wild crazy and, and sin's fine by me all day long. No, don't do that. But don't, um, don't be, don't be haughty for very long. Check yourself in the haughtiness and don't be snooty or snotty. Okay. Um, Dun, dun, dun. I think before, um, yeah, verse seven and verse eight is the big bang kind of promise, but there's like a, a kicker of a promise in verse seven. I, verse seven of Psalm 138, um, I, I'm just going to read it amplified again, if you need to look it up. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. All right, I'm going to read it again and I'm going to do that thing I say to do, emphasize will. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. That's amazing. That's 
that's amazing. That's a kicker of a promise. That's like Job. That's like Job when he says, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. You weren't going to budge that guy as far as his faith went. You just weren't going to. Did he mourn and grieve and maybe open his mouth and say things he shouldn't have said? Yeah, absolutely. Because he was in deep, profound grief. He had lost all of his children. That is unimaginable grief, unimaginable grief. But he had that hard attitude of though he slay me yet will I hope in him that wasn't going to change. Okay, so um, I'm just going to give you a couple of examples. My daughter and son in law got me this book by Malcolm Gladwell. I really like Malcolm Gladwell's books. They are, like I said earlier, I'm not the you know, about as romantical novel as I'm going to get would be The Four Feathers by A.E.W. Mason, my absolute all-time favorite um, non or fiction, fiction book. I read it probably once a year. It's tremendous, and it's not overly romantic. So please don't think of The Four Feathers movie with Heath Ledger, um, just, you know, and Kate Hudson. Just move beyond that to the book. Trust me on this one. It is tremendous. Such a great book. Sometimes the people who are so afraid they're going to be the biggest coward in the world, are not cowardly at all. Um, And so this book, David and Goliath, talks a lot about um, fear and how sometimes you're more afraid of being afraid than the actual thing you thought you were going to be so afraid of, right? And that just lays out a lot of um, the research, his researches. I just love the way he puts things together. So kind of at the end of the book, he gives these examples of I'm going to start with the Vietnam War, and somebody can try to correct me and say it was a conflict. Just because you rename something to try and pretty it up and and save face, don't make it so. It was a war. Ask the people living in Vietnam if it was a conflict or a war. It was a war. They were living in a war zone. If you're being carpet bombed because you're you know living in some little village, um, and we had neighbors, really great neighbors, who one uh, were from Cambodia, and they had some pretty interesting stories to share about that Vietnam region, um, it was war. Okay, the ones who lived it, I'm not a, I'm not a history revisionist, I'm more of a living history. The people who lived it get to tell you what they lived because they lived it kind of a thing. So uh, like that, were you there? Yeah, they were there. So uh, it was a war. So they had one but person who worked for Rand who was um, giving information back to the US government about can we win the war and they would ask villagers and people who were Vietnamese, do you think the Viet Cong will win? And they would say no. And this particular um, advisor just ran with that. They said no. So we think the U.S. can win. You know, communism is not going to take over here. We're going to win. And then there was this other gentleman who had been, um, he was Jewish and lived in Germany and and left as soon as Hitler became chancellor um, because he saw the writing on the wall. He was 19. And he ended up going back to interview a post-war to work with the the United States intelligence to interview German soldiers and kind of try to figure out why did you keep fighting even when you knew it was all lost? Um, and so he became the go-to guy as Vietnam continued to deepen and the death toll, you know, got closer to a million and it was just pretty horrendous and it was not stopping. It just went on and on and on. He was sent in to kind of see if there were any missing pieces to this other man's, this other advisor's information. And he found that he need, that another question needed to be asked. Do you think the Viet Cong will win? No. Do you think the United States will win? No. Why? 
why, why? I said, well, because we don't care. And we, the, the civilians are not going to get in the fight. The United States wanted them to be in the fight with us against the Viet Cong to push back communism. They were not interested in being in the fight. It didn't really matter what happened. They weren't afraid because they had gotten over being afraid of being afraid. The thing that they had feared had come upon them. And that's in the word of God. You could look that up. Sometimes Job said that, the, that thing which I have feared has come upon me. Sometimes when we're actually going through it, we realize I was afraid of what this would be more than what it actually is. So if we could be kind of like those Vietnamese in the sense of, I don't care what tug of war is going on. I've read the end of the book and I know who wins and it's Jesus, baby, all day long. So it doesn't matter what feels like a conflict or a war going on around me. You can be hitting me from the flank, Satan. But um, yeah, I'm just not really, I'm not afraid of being afraid because I know the end. And they just wanted to live their lives in spite of the conflict and war around them, live their lives, enjoy their families, just live their lives. Sometimes we got to get that mindset, say, I'm not afraid of being afraid. I'm not afraid of the actual real scenario because I know who wins in the end. To the victor goes the spoils. Jesus is the victor. It's a done deal. I just want to keep living what he's called me to live right here, right now, be in the moment, right? Isn't that what they say about Michael Jordan? He could he could play such great basketball because he fully lived in the exact moment of that exact game. He was never thinking about yesterday's loss and he wasn't thinking about the potential stress of another playoff season tomorrow. He just lived it today and was very successful. Live today. Don't get don't get caught up in Satan's attacks to try to get you to miss all of today because he's got you stressing about tomorrow and just mourning yesterday. Don't do it. Be like have that attitude of you can't get me engaged in in this fight right now because I'm going to live for today and do what God's called me to do for today. And I'm not going to get all messed up all in that nonsense, that that particular mess that Satan's trying to draw me into. Okay, so I'm going to give you another little example from the book. And this one I love. So there's, it's during World War II, and France has been overrun by Germany. Yet again, they have quite a history, those two countries for sure. And there's this little village in in the south of France, in the southern part of France, um, where people began to send Jewish children this there was a I think there was a bazaar that was sent by Germany or or set up by Germany to kind of uh, round up Jews and of course we all know the horrendous things that happened to them when they were round up from Europe it was yeah it's just it's unspeakable in many ways it's just unspeakable it should break your heart if it doesn't um, if you learned a little bit more about it it would heartbreaking absolutely heartbreaking but this village they the children were sent there the Jewish children and the first time that um, the German occupiers came into that village to have their standard let's look around and you know roll out the red carpet for us and now tell us where the Jews are and we're just going to make sure you know that you know that you know we're not going to play this game well they didn't get the carpet rolled out for them nobody was on the streets they wouldn't ring the bell they didn't have a nice meal for them they didn't take the little bit of money that they had in wartime Europe nobody had anything they didn't take that and try to find a way to really you know feed them to the nines and all that jazz. They didn't do it. Uh, They eventually gathered in kind of their town hall type thing and they had the children, um, they read a letter. They read a letter that they had written for these occupiers, right? These people who who wanted to do horrible things to take these Jewish children away. 
the last two lines of this letter. Can you imagine? These are children standing on a stage. Okay, so get this in your mind. Get this, get this in your mind. And you have just some horribly incorrigible, very dangerous people sitting in front of you. And they say these two lines to them, the last two lines of the letter. We have Jews. You're not getting them. That's amazing. How would your life change if your faith attitude was like Job? Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I don't know what you can hit me with, devil, because that's my reality. Though he slay me, though the Lord slay me, yet I'm hoping in him and trusting in him. What you got, Satan? He's not going to have anything left. What is he? What can he have? Nothing, because you're not afraid, because you're not afraid. What was the key element in that uh, that little French village? They weren't afraid. They weren't afraid. That's obvious. That's obvious. I've read a lot. Um, my husband is a World War II buff, so we we know a lot about what amazing people um, in, uh, in Poland. Oh my goodness, some of the things that they did. The zookeeper's wife, the way that they they say eighty percent of the of the city of Warsaw was involved in the underground railroad operations of of moving Jews out to safer places. It's tremendous, but it was all done in secrecy. These this is a village. Uh, and they and they actually didn't end up losing any Jewish children. It's amazing all the way through um, all of the occupied parts of the war. Incredible. They just they just put it out there. We have Jews. You're not getting them. What are you going to do to that? You know they would come do their little inspection of the village through the years, and they would they would go have a leisurely cup or two of coffee and uh, make sure the people who needed to know knew that they were in town, so they could go hide the Jewish children. Um, Basically, when they would do the searches, they would just come in, glance around the kitchen, maybe around the the hearth, and they would leave town. They never even really tried. The decision was made in advance that no matter what, you can't make me afraid. You can't influence me. If you had a, we have Jews, you're not getting them. If we had a, we could say this, we have faith. You're not getting it. You're not getting my faith, Satan. I've got faith and you're not getting it. Here, I told you I was going to bring it back to Matthew 18, when I challenged you by saying, oftentimes we're missing it because we don't pray big enough. We don't pray bold enough. We're a little bit or a lot cowardly in our praying. We might not even know it. I'm just going to call you out and challenge you. Step it up a notch. Step it up 10 notches. Have a, we have faith and you're not getting my faith, Satan. I have nothing to fear. I'm not afraid. And you don't have anything to fear. That's all over the word of God in black and white and red and white. So grab hold of that and believe it because that's your truth. You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. Hey, Satan, you're not getting it. You're not getting this from me. Matthew 18, there is um, a widow and she goes to the unjust judge. So this is Jesus telling a parable. He says, I'm going to tell you about prayer right now. I'm going to teach you about prayer. Okay, so this is me paraphrasing, but you can find it in Matthew 18. I want to say verses one through eight, but that might be um, actually it might be Luke 18. Yep. Strike that. It is Luke 18. I think verses one through eight, but you'll find it if you look up Luke 18. And you can also look up Luke 11 for uh, bold praying. But Luke 18, this widow, she's powerless. She's voiceless. She had nothing in that society. So that's the figure that Jesus grabs hold of to teach us how to pray. She goes to the unjust judge and our God is not unjust. So he's given, he's setting it up to say, even in the worst possible case scenario, scenario, I'm going to show you how to win, how to be victorious. And keep in mind, your God is nothing like an unjust judge. He loves his children and he answers them quickly. These are words in red. Jesus, I'm paraphrasing, but when I say Jesus said God will answer quickly, that's what he said. Will he not answer quickly? So she goes and she just drives this guy nuts wanting justice, 
wanting things to be made right. And he finally says, though I do not fear God and I do not fear man, I'm going to give her what she's asking for because she's going to wear me out and weary me with her asking. Okay, so Jesus basically is saying, and then he says, and will not will God not answer quickly those his children who cry out to him day and night? Of course he will, right? So he's saying that's a done deal. That's a given. That's a given. So this is Jesus talking to them about prayer, basically saying, yep, keep asking, be bold, be bold, be persistent in prayer the way this woman was. Just keep after it. Don't lose your faith. Keep asking, keep asking. God's going to answer. That's like almost like a given. Yeah, yeah, of course God's going to answer. Hello, he's not anything like the unjust judge. Yes, he'll answer and quickly. And then the, the kicker, the last thing he says, he initiates this parable on prayer. And then the last thing he says is, but when the son of man returns, will he find this kind of persistent faith on the earth? Drop the mic. What are we supposed to pay attention to in that passage? What we really need to get is he's looking for persistent faith. Is he going to find it when he returns? Are you, are you picking up what I'm laying down? Are you hearing what I'm saying here? Yeah, you need to pray with importunity. Yep, we need to be a lot more bold in our praying. And yeah, we need to grab hold of the truth that though he slay me, yet will I hope in him? I've got faith. And he's going to find it. Jesus is going to come back. And if he comes back in my lifetime, I want him to look at me and say, yep, I found it right there in you. There it is. I found persistent faith in you. That's what he wants. We need to get bolder about our praying because he wants us bolder in our praying. He really does. He wants us to have a, we have Jews and you're not getting them attitude towards Satan. I have faith and you're not getting it. I hope you can say that um, today. And if you can't say it yet, just start saying it. Though we slay me yet, will I hope in him? I've got faith and you're not getting it, Satan. Okay, verse eight, verse eight. Wow, this verse is a closer, okay? If you're trying to close a deal, if you're trying to, um, you know, you you get that you're a prosecutor and you've got your closing statements and sometimes they get two, right? If, you've, if you're the DA's office and you brought a case against someone, you might have your closing statement and then they have the defendant has their closing statement and then you have your final closing statement. This is a closer, right? And some people are good at closing deals are good closers and they can make the sale all day long. Where Nobody's even selling you junk. This is like a closer for for um, your battle against Satan, your battle against fear, your battle against um, really leaning in and believing that God has good for you in the land of the living, that his promises are true for you. This is our closer. Verse eight, the Lord will accomplish that which concerns me. Your unwavering loving kindness, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your own hands. I'm going to read that again. The Lord will, the Lord will accomplish that which concerns me. This is very personal. This is very personal. Your unwavering loving kindness, O Lord, endures forever. His loving kindness toward you is unwavering. Think of something unwavering. And it endures forever right? Forever. Another movie quote. We quote movies in our family. We could have conversations just using movie quotes. It endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your own hands. Um, guess what? There's a period. David writes, do not abandon the works of your own hands, period. There's no please on that. There's no, will you not abandon question mark? He just says, don't do this, God. He's talking to God and saying, do not abandon the works of your own hands. This is, this is Luke 18. This is Job 
though he slay me yet will I trust in him. This is we've got Jews and you're not getting them kind of talk. This is I don't care if you bomb my village. I'm not getting in this fight with you. I, I don't I don't care. You need to not care about Satan so much that your needle can't be moved. This is your truth. This is your promise today. I want you to grab a hold of this. I'm going to read this last verse one more time. The Lord will accomplish that which concerns me. Your unwavering loving kindness, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your own hands. That's my prayer for you this week. This whole psalm has been my prayer for you. This Actually, it's been two weeks since I put up a new episode. But today, specifically, man, I want you to grab hold of that. You've got faith. We've got faith. You've got faith. And Satan's not getting it. In Jesus' name, he's not getting it. All right, I'm going to wrap it up. It has been... 35 minutes. Thank you for hanging out with me today. I'm thinking now that a lot of my busyness and I've had a couple of biggish conferences and things going on, I think now I can get back to once a week podcasts and I'm going to be doing, um, I'm continuing the prayer group on Facebook. If you would like to join, you can join. Um, it's the, the video sessions from the two day retreat are archived and I'm going to be adding printable, you know, versions in there so that if you don't have time to watch the video, you can, you can, uh, get the notes, uh, the bullet points, so to speak. But I also want to keep going with that because um, there's 81 women in there. I think they're all women. And it's just been so great. It's been so great. We're going to keep praying for one another and, uh, you know, holding up each other's arms like like they did for Moses when his arms were up there winning the battle. When he got tired and he dropped his arms, they were losing the battle. And so they held up his arms for him. We're going to hold up one another's arms in prayer. It's called Praying Through the Storm Online Prayer Retreat. Just search that on Facebook and you'll find it. You can join because I'm excited about what's happening in there. I mean, it's it's great when you see God specifically answering people's prayers in amazing ways. There's just somebody shared something yesterday that was just so great um, and it was cool. And I don't think... And God could not, only God could orchestrate it the way that it worked out. So uh, look that up if you want to. And I invite you to, I really encourage you to. And maybe share this podcast if you know somebody who could use a little bit of a, we've got Jews and you're not getting them kind of a pep talk. And I know I get passionate about that. If you've seen the newer version of True Grit or read the book, um, my, my kids have often said, I'm just like Maddie Ross. And I am. I am. I'm a tenacious little thing. And because of my just experiences in life, I'm not afraid of some of the things that people typically are afraid of. And it kind of sets me up to be, um, it just, to just believe God for his word because of the way that I've, I know that it works. I know his word is true. It can't not work. I, you can't just, I can't be afraid of Satan because I've seen too much if that makes sense. So, um, yeah, share this if you'd like to share it. All that to say that. Thank you for being here. I am glad to be kind of back on a normal routine, I think. And I hope this fall is a time of blessing for you. God has good for you in the land of the living right here and now today. And I'm asking him to do what only he can do, move in ways that only he can move and to give you a faith that is um, solid solid as a rock because it should be you're standing on the rock with a capital r on jesus so you're totally totally safe and secure in him lord bless you i will catch you back here next time you have a good one just keep making the name of jesus famous everywhere you go all right talk to you later bye-bye 
I'm so glad you joined me for this episode of the Burt Not Ernie Show. It's an honor and a blessing to talk about God's promises with you. Have a fabulous day. And remember, part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Lord bless. I'll see you next time. Thank you.